Welcome to the JVB Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm Jim, and today we are going to release a replay of the July 14th, 2020 weekly Zoom call we have. On that call, we will discuss nutrition, the importance of reading ingredients and the process to go through when doing so, the difference between movement and exercise, a discussion about heart rate, a case study of a runner that qualified for the Boston Marathon for the first time after not being able to do so his entire life, a discussion around intermittent fasting, a discussion about indoor exercise, a heated discussion about video versus non-video calls, the critical importance of scheduling time in your calendar for your health, exercise, strength, meditation, or anything else related to your health, a discussion about recovering from a foot stress fracture, a discussion about caffeine, and a few other topics. Enjoy. I have a question for you, a food question. Um, polenta. Mm-hmm. Is, what are the ingredients in the polenta? Crap. Let me go look. Okay, so here's the thing is I recently became obsessed with grits. Like mm-hmm. old, like, um, what do you call it? Like the old-fashioned grits, you know, like I just, but I think that that's processed. I think it's polenta with like the outer layer. Um, yeah, I'd have to look. I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of those grainy type things are processed, like oatmeal's processed a little bit, right, to uh, make it edible, but I still would consider it to be unprocessed. But if they're adding like a bunch of ingredients to the polenta, then I would consider it to, you know, maybe be processed. Just depends on what's what's in there. What the and, hell? Where did this? Oh, it's it says water, yellow cornmeal sun-dried tomatoes, garlic, salt, tartaric acid, absorbic acid, and beta carotene. Probably not horrible. Send me a picture of the packaging. I'd, I'd love to take a look at it. Let me look at my grits, what these are made out of. It's like what I do with the grits is I actually throw nutritional yeast on it mm-hmm. and then um, add like vegetables or whatever. Often people ask me, if something is healthy or unhealthy, if something is processed or unprocessed. And my response is always, well, what are the ingredients? And then I sometimes know the ingredients and sometimes I don't know. And one of my general rules for nutrition is to try and eat things with as few ingredients as possible, with as many whole foods as possible, with as few to no preservatives as possible. In the past, I did not read ingredients labels. And I've learned for the most part that most people don't read the ingredients labels either. But I think that reading the ingredients label and researching what each item is in the ingredients is key to determining if it's something you want to eat or don't want to eat based on your goals. If you're looking to eat mostly whole foods, unprocessed foods, and you have whole, you have high fructose corn syrup or hydrogenated oils or other things, then uh, you know it's obviously highly processed. If you have a lot of uh, preservatives in there, it's processed. In the case of polenta and grits, which is not something I've eaten uh, really over time, uh, the two main ingredients I came across were, were yellow cornmeal and uh, grits. And the yellow cornmeal is just essentially dried corn or grinded down into different shapes. And grits, is it's, it's more coarse. And in the yellow cornmeal, it's more fine. And so 
One thing that I read in terms of looking into uh, whether or not these things were healthy or not, of course, they do have some uh, plant-based uh, nutrients, which is great, but you lose the fiber there. And uh, if you recall, one of my uh, food principles is eat as much fiber as possible. So if you're having the polenta or the grits or the yellow corn meal with uh, lots of other vegetables or other fiber, that's great. I did also see that there are many places that will have lower quality yellow corn meal or grits or higher quality. So uh, I generally have the belief of trying to get the highest quality type foods. Usually that requires me to do some research and see what, what kind of things they, how they make it and what kind of things they put inside of it. Now, the other thing I noticed is that they have a bunch of vitamins that they fortify the yellow corn meal with or the grits with. So to answer the question, would I consider it processed or unprocessed? Certainly it's, it's moderately processed in that they have to grind it down, you lose the fiber, and they add uh, a number of different uh, vitamins uh, to fortify the product. But it's, it's not the worst. It doesn't have any refined sugar, which I like. And so if you are going to eat it, I would say make sure you get the highest quality. Make sure you supplement it with fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds and uh, make sure uh, you read the ingredients and understand who makes it. And it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, I would much strongly prefer that one gets their vitamins from whole food plants. There are tons of nutrients and phytonutrients in whole foods, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, etc. And uh, so I personally do try and avoid any products that are process where fiber is removed or where they are fortified heavily with vitamins. Uh, now, if you are plant-based, then you do need to find a place to get B12. So shoot to get as many nutrients as possible from whole foods. And then of course, the other point is that it also does depend on what you put in. I see many people and they eat something that's super healthy and then they load on a bunch of unhealthy heavily processed things that takes a very healthy thing and makes it unhealthy. Whether it's salad dressings with high fructose corn syrup or tons of refined sugars or butters or plant-based butters or margarines, tons of different things I see. So be careful. And finally, when I talk about fortified foods, I'm actually talking about foods. I'm not talking about supplements. We could have a whole nother podcast or multiple podcasts about supplements. For some people, supplements definitely help. I am one of those people, but I also know some people that don't need them and never take them. Hello, Jim. Are you running? Not yet. Warming up. Awesome. How are you? I'm good, man. Staying, staying, uh, yeah, staying all sane, healthy. And all in every way, so yeah, good. How about yourself? Very good. You up for a run? Uh, I'm gonna walk while I talk to you tonight. Great. I, but I did do my goal. I did my goal this week, which was to run uh, not as long and hard as you did for your 50th. But I ran my five miles first thing in the morning. <laughs> awesome. You turned 50 over the last week. Yeah, I did. I'm joined. I've joined your club. Happy great. Birthday Happy you. birthday. No, no, thank you very much. Happy thank you very much. To you. Um, great. Uh, Five miles 
any exercise works, if you ask me, you know? <laughs> I agree. I agree. I was happy to get the five minutes. So. It is um, all about consistency. Uh, yeah, it's hard. This, this whole thing, this whole COVID thing, is throwing a wrench into everything. Consistency is hard. It is. It is. Hey, hey, Emilio, how you doing? I'm doing well. How's it going there? I'm still very, dealing, very still struggling with the the heat. I think tomorrow I'm gonna see what happens if I really try to to uh, run uh, aerobically and just force myself to do it because I really failed uh, yesterday. Well, I, I thought about um, our conversation last week about how you're in a very high dew point place in Texas, and you said you were getting out and walking, and you're getting your heart rate up. That is, from an aerobic standpoint, very important, right? It is about time in the zone, and you know, people that are really trying to train aerobically and become more efficient aerobically do better when they get more time in the zone, right? And I, I usually try and shoot for five or six hours, but sometimes you get two hours, you get what you can get, right? But like, where was your heart rate? Where is your heart rate when you're walking around outside? So that's the challenge is like when I'm, so I went on a couple walks today for a few miles each time. And it was about, um, you know, never, never really got over a hundred, but when I'm running, um, I have times, especially on Hills where I'm trying to keep it under 160. Interesting. One of the reasons I'm so focused on heart rate is over the years, I'm a data oriented person and I've been wearing heart rate monitors for well over 25 years, I've had many people say to me, I got my exercise in today. Oh yeah, what'd you do? Well, I walked. Okay, what was your heart rate? 90, 95. Okay, um, so, and then they might say, well, I went for a run and my heart rate was 160. Kind of what you're saying, Emilio. And I differentiate exercise and movement. And the way I differentiate it is by heart rate or strength. So if you're doing strength, that's always exercise. If you're getting your heart rate kind of anything up over 105, I don't care what age you are, although our heart rate does get lower as we age, um, I would consider that exercise. If you've got a small sweat going, you got your heart rate up at least over 15, 110, that's exercise. But then there's walking. And if one's heart rate is not getting into the aerobic zone, I call it the below aerobic zone, then I would consider that movement. And we need to do both. We need to move consistently throughout the day. There's tons of evidence out there that if we move consistently out throughout the day, we live longer. And if we don't, we live less. And so this is why I'm so focused on heart rate. And if your heart rate is 95, I would consider that movement. And I would not consider that you getting aerobic benefit in your training. You will get benefit by movement and you will lubricate your entire body and uh, it will help you live longer. But from a training perspective, I would say it's below aerobic. So that walk to me, Emilio, counts as movement and not exercise. And one other point I'd like to make. So if you had a walk and your average heart rate is 95, that's your average heart rate. Let's say that walk was 60 minutes. Now you might have 20 or 30 minutes where your heart rate was actually aerobic. So it was say over 102 or over 105 and maybe you have some big hills you you know went on or you were doing some hiking and your heart rate spiked up to 120 or 130. The other thing that I have in my app is I have a, a page called aerobic slash anaerobic and below aerobic and basically what that does if you start a activity file on your watch your Garmin your Fitbit or your Apple watch 
and uh, then save that file and you're linked up to my app, my app will actually tell you of that 60 minutes, you had 45 minutes below the aerobic zone, but you actually did have 15 minutes in the aerobic zone. And that 15 minutes in the aerobic zone, I would absolutely count towards any type of aerobic training. So one thing I encourage you to do is hook up to my app and start an activity file each time. And then we can take a look and analyze what you're doing. And obviously, as time goes along, one key true indicator of overall improved fitness and health is if you're doing the same walk and in the same weather conditions and the same track and your heart rate is coming down over time, that's improved fitness. In a future podcast, we're going to talk about a page on my app, which I call the Movement Consistency Dashboard. Basically, it's one page. It's very simple. It's fully automated if you wear a Garmin, a Fitbit, or an Apple device. And it takes a look at your movement. It takes a look at your exercise. It takes a look at your sleep and basically looks to try and motivate people to move more. And so if somebody gets less than 300 steps in an hour, takes three to five minutes to walk 300 steps, then that hour would light up red. And if they are moving when not sleeping, when not exercising, they have more than 300 steps in an hour, then it would light up green. And one of the things that uh, I use to motivate me to both move and exercise is to just go and look at this chart every day. It's a beautiful chart and we'll show it up on the screen in a future Zoom call. Right. I mean, right. It's, pretty, it's pretty extreme, right? So I try to go where I have an average of like, you know, in the 130s, I feel good about a 130 average, but I, I most of the time I fail. Yeah. So when you're running flat, what is your heart rate? It depends anywhere from anywhere from, you know, 130 to 145 or so. Until, okay. until, and then, but it's, you know how it goes, it gets gradual. So over time, by the end of my run, it's really hard to get it down. It'll never go back to the low 30s, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. all about cardiac drift. And the one thing about um, heart rate training is you want to keep your heart rate as low as you possibly can for that first mile. You know right. what I mean? For the right. first 10 minutes, because if you go out, if one goes out um, and they uh, kind of start out too fast, they're going to get their heart rate up and you can never, ever recover from that yeah. on any workout. And it's true of a race. It's true of training. So like my, when I'm going out for my, my runs, no matter what, even if I plan on a hard run, I'm running that first mile, super, super easy. It's really like a jog. And very often, sometimes we don't keep it easy enough. And then we say later, Oh man, I, I didn't keep my heart rate low enough in that first mile or two, depending on how long I'm run for and I'm paying for it and I cannot get my heart rate down the rest of the time. And there's other times where, you know, I'll go on, I'll keep my heart rate and it's so low that it seems like I'm barely moving. It seems like a jog. And then almost always by the end of the workout, I, I think to myself, wow, that was great. I kept my heart rate low in that first mile or two. And I was much faster at a lower, easier heart rate because of it. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I feel the same way. I mean, it's interesting. It's usually there are a couple of really steep hills. Um, and it's when I hit those um, that things start to fall apart from a cardio standpoint. And that's about three miles in. I've been doing like eight to 10 mile runs. And it's usually like about three miles in where when I hit that first big hill that things start to uh, get out of control.
Yeah, what I always say is um, I see the heart rate data from Hills, from the Garmin watch or other wearable devices. And what most people do is they run as fast as they possibly can in the hill. And then they say to themselves, I'll slow down when I start up the hill. Right. And we really need to be slowing down probably a tenth to a quarter of a mile before those big hills and keep your heart rate lower. So instead of running into it and your heart rate's already at 145 and you're at the high end of your aerobic range, whatever that is, I just use that as a number. Like I will, if I really want to stay aerobic, I will keep my heart rate on the low end of the aerobic range, you know, 120 or 130. And then I'll take my quick steps up the hill and, and then I'll let my heart rate ascend up the hill. Right. But most people that run into hills, they run into the hill too hard and too fast. And so um, it, go, it goes up too quickly. You know what I mean? And then, and then they're not aerobic. Then they're drifting into the middle. Right. Right. I do that on the bike with hills. But uh, what's interesting about bike training, if we think about being aerobic where we're trying to keep our heart rate low, right? And remember, aerobic means, you know, it's very easy breathing it out through your nose very easily. And, you know, uh, it's probably below 50-50 burning carbohydrate and fat. We have endless, amount, endless amounts of store of fat in our body. But when we start to burn our carbohydrate, the reason that we eventually bonk is because our heart rate was too long. We didn't replace enough of the calories. And so we bonk. What's interesting about the bike, and Greg, are you, can you hear me? Greg and I have had the- Yeah, there you are. Can hey, you hear Greg? me, Jim? Yeah, All right. Here. Good to see you. I like the beard. Oh, sorry, I'm not a, a, a computer guy. So this took uh, two kids to get me on here. Oh, <laughs> good work. Good to see well, you. Good to see you. We're, we're talking about uh, aerobic and anaerobic heart, heart rates. And uh, we were talking about, you know, trying to slow down before you get into the hill so that when you're going up a hill, you still can keep your heart rate kind of aerobic. What most people do, and, and as a coach, this is one of my biggest frustrations is most people, I'll, I'll say, well, look, if you really want to get faster at the same heart rate, many, many of us on this call have been through that, um, you really need to keep your heart rate below a certain level pretty much no matter what, Right. And if that means, and I'm going to give an example of Mark Allen in a second, but if that means walking up a hill, then you walk up the hill. It's, it's more beneficial to eventually then you'll be eventually able to run up that hill. But one of my biggest frustrations is, you know, I want people to run hills because hills are great for training, right? But people do run into the hill really fast and then they let their heart rate drift into the middle. So keep it lower and a quarter of a mile before a hill or a tenth of a mile before the hill start, start slowing down so that you can take your quick steps up the hill uh, and have your heart rate go up slower. When we are trying to get faster at the same heart rate, in other words, do aerobic training, it's called metabolic efficiency training or MET. And the goal, at least initially, is to keep the heart rate 100% aerobic. And it usually takes three to four months. And then we start to build in some high intensity training really hard. So the aerobic training is really easy and the high intensity training would be really hard, nothing in the middle. But some believe that every second that we are above the aerobic range, so if we let ourselves drift into the middle and we're anaerobic, that's going to reverse any gains that we got out of the aerobic training. So that's why when I run into a hill, tenth of a mile before, quarter mile before, I am really, really running slower and I have my heart rate. Let's say my aerobic range is 120 to 145. I'm keeping on, you know, the 125 to 130, even 120, so that as I slowly take my quick steps up the hill, I start to see my heart rate creep up. So hopefully I'm right around 145, still in the aerobic zone when I get to the top of the hill. And then I use that free speed and free gravity when I run back down the hill, but I usually can't run too fast for the first, you know, 15 to 30 seconds down the hill until my heart rate recovers.
And metabolic efficiency training or, or keeping our heart rate in the aerobic zone goes for everybody, not just for runners. One way we measure success is are you getting faster at the same heart rate? But you could also do it on the elliptical machine, for example, where you're doing very aerobic exercise, you're watching some shows, and you're trying to keep your heart rate in that aerobic zone. And over time, you know, you might start on level nine on the elliptical, and all of a sudden you're at level 15 later, and it's just as easy with the same heart rate. That's also showing improvement. So I don't want people to think that this is only about running. It's true on any apparatus in any way you can measure it, whether you measure your 500 pace on an ERG machine or you're taking a Peloton class or a spin class in any way, shape, or form, you can measure this. And the other great thing about doing metabolic efficiency training is that if we are keeping our heart rate in the aerobic zone and we're getting a good amount of time in the zone, you heard me say, typically I try and have five or six hours a week in the zone, people actually get leaner and they often lose weight, even when they're not trying to. Because if we're doing that and we're eating well and we're keeping our refined things down and keeping our refined carbs down and we're sleeping and we're keeping our stress down, et cetera, the weight's going to go where it wants to go. And very often I see people lose five pounds, 10 pounds. I've had people lose 100 pounds. And often when people start to do metabolic efficiency training, they say to me, well, it's boring. You know, if I don't get a hard workout in and my heart rate isn't high, then I must not be getting benefit. And I used to believe that. I had this macho view of this. And for me to say, look, I could run really slow and really enjoy it and look around and I could breathe through my nose and I could talk and or I could watch a show and go really easy and I don't have to hammer my workouts to get benefit. That that was unbelievable to me. I didn't believe it. But over time, I started doing it and got leaner and lost 40 or 50 pounds and improved my health under the hood and got much faster and at 50, I'm faster than I ever was when I was 20 or 30 or 40. You know, I've run multiple um, ultra marathons. I've done multiple Ironmans. I once did two Ironmans in a three-week period. I once did an Ironman. And then the next weekend, I ran a 56-mile race in South Africa called Comrades. And this is all because I'm following the program of easy training most of the time. It's really enjoyable. So give it a week or two and try it. You might love it. And most people say to me, oh, I don't want to do that. But after they try it for a week or two, they are in bliss and they feel spectacular. Their cells become aerobic also. It's just really, really healthy for our body. On the bike, what's interesting about the bike, and Greg, Greg knows this. Greg, um, like Greg and I decided together as a team, he might say I decided. I'd say we decided it. Uh, to <laughs> not do, no bike. We, we, <laughs> we took Greg completely off the bike. When he, his goal was to, I think you had just turned 50 and you wanted to qualify for Boston. You'd never done it before. The fastest marathon you'd ever run was a. Three, I think I was like a 345, 350. But yet Greg has this ability when he goes out and runs four mile races, five mile races. When he does duathlons, he wins a lot of those and, and he's fast and he's easily in the sixes. Somebody that is running a pace in the sixes does not translate to a 345 marathoner. So we thought about why and of course there's the pillars that i follow there's nutrition and there's uh, sleep and there's stress management and all the different things but a lot of it comes down to this aerobic versus anaerobic training and so what what we found when we got a device on greg and greg i hope you don't mind me talking about this i think it's educational for people but so greg was doing 30 to 45 minute runs, probably 45 minute runs, and he was running in the sevens most of the time. And that heart rate, heart rate translated in, into living in the middle, 
basically. It was not aerobic. It was anaerobic, but it wasn't like the theory that the saying of most people do their easy runs too hard and their hard runs too easy was, was great. Okay. Most people do their easy runs too hard and their hard runs too easy. Um, and so I want people out of the middle where they're either really easy most of the time and really, really hard, nothing in the middle. And so Greg, uh, when we started to then incorporate some of the other pillars, but really focus on heart rate training and doing more of an hour most days and uh, a longer run on the weekend during the marathon training. And the runs were at a significantly slower pace. So no longer was he in the sevens. I think he started in the tens, mid tens, maybe even 11 minute miles. And eventually after a month, started to get that down to lower in the low tens and all of a sudden it's in the nines and eventually it's even in the eights and it's super easy and aerobic. And then something else happens when we're running slower. We tend to get hurt less because our form is better and we don't use the same muscles and get up in the same way to stress our body and we get hurt a lot more when we run faster. So when we run slower, we're able to run a lot more time. My number one goal, other than to get my heart rate up and get some exercise or do strength training every day is to not get hurt. And so when I go out for a run, if I hurt, I feel like I got twinges or something coming along, I stop. Keeping the heart rate aerobic most of the time, reporting effort levels, and then um, doing one or maybe a couple miles a week or maybe a race or two a week where it was really hard, like that's when he, he really started to thrive. But then what was happening was there was a period of time where he had some development where he started to do the aerobic training and you could see him on the same course, same type of weather conditions, getting faster uh, pace uh, at the same heart rate. Then there was this kind of stagnation. I don't know if you remember this. This was a couple months in. And uh, that was when Greg was riding a lot of the bike. And the bike, if we were to go into a lab and get tested – the way the bike works is if you go into Hi, the sorry, I'm on mute. Hi. No problem. Hi. Um, we're just talking about a heart rate training a little bit, um, but um, which can benefit anybody, runner or not runner. And uh, it's not just about uh, runners here, but um, given the example of Greg, who's on the call here. So what, what I noticed when I started looking at the data is uh, 140 beats, uh, let's say, on the bike is very, very different than 140 beats as a runner. And when you go into a lab and they test you, when I got my lactic acid levels tested and my metabolic levels tested, um, my heart rate was about 20 beats lower on the bike versus the run. So if I was to go out and do, like, I could not, I think my, my, my lactic acid threshold 171 as a runner, this is 10 years ago, probably about the same now. Um, whereas when your heart rate starts to go over like 171 for me, I start to really suffer. I know that's a red zone. I'm not going to be able to hold that that long. So I want to stay right below that red line. Right. But when I got tested on the bike, it was 151. And I was, I couldn't move my legs anymore during that test. Right. Like I was working as hard as I possibly could. And so when you ride a bike and sir, I know you mentioned it, like, like your, your heart rate, if it's the same as running, you're probably actually in the middle from a heart rate perspective, aerobically. So it's not only about the heart rate. There isn't, there is a effort level component to it also. So for Greg, what we did and Greg, you did not like it. I remember at the time, but we said, no bike, no bike. You're going to be a runner. And if you're hurt or you have issues, then you're going to do elliptical and you're going to, you're going to get your five or six hours a week in the zone. And, and that's going to be the goal. And Greg ended up, 
was it exactly three months or four months later running a 329 marathon? Four months we were in Chicago, 329, and then New York. You made you pushed me to run New York a month later, same exact time, 329. Which is which which means his fitness has significantly improved from Chicago to New York because to run that course, New York at the same time is amazing. And then you went down to Florida and ran a 326, I think, in the rain. And that's what qualified yeah. me for Boston. Yeah. So uh, on the heart rate stuff, it's, it's, and I'm happy to talk to people offline if they want about the bike, but you got to think about when you're riding the bike, there is a difference between the bike heart rate and the run heart rate. Now, Mark Allen, who is a famous triathlete, and I'll tell this story probably a little bit wrong, but Mark Allen was a world-class triathlete who had won every single type of Ironman triathlete you can win, except he couldn't win Kona. And he went to this guy named Phil Maffetone. Some of you have probably heard of Phil Maffetone. Phil Maffetone was a guy who had the big heart rate monitors on his wrist, like humongous heart rate monitors back in the 80s. And he said, all right, Mark, yeah, you might be able to run a, I don't know, 215 marathon and a four-something mile, but I want you to go out and run one mile. And I want you to keep your heart rate at 155 or below, which at the time I think was 180 minus his age. 180, he was 25 years old, I think, at the time. So 155. And if you let your heart rate, um, if your heart rate goes above 155, I want you to walk on hills or flats or whatever. So Mark Allen went out and did that one mile, and he came back, and his, um, his pace was 850 per mile which is completely pedestrian for somebody of that gift level, right? And so, and so he started training almost all aerobic for months and months and months. And usually the way it works is when you're doing the aerobic training, you keep it easy for the first two or three months and you start to build some speed in. It takes a while to get your speed back. Um, and so um, basically he got his pace down from that training from 850 a mile to 510 a mile at the same heart rate. Five ten a mile, that is crazy. So and then he won five world championships in a row. So the heart rate, the heart rate <laughs> training, the heart rate training does work. Um, Jim, it's also great if people are looking for inspirational material to listen to while they exercise. Um, is that is it called Iron War? Or what's the name of that book? That's called the Iron War. It's a it's Iron a great War. Book. I think it's it's probably the bit most inspirational. Um, athletic competition story that I've, you know, listened to while while running. It's a good one. Yeah, that's that's between Mark Allen and Dave Scott. Dave Scott had won all those Ironmans before Mark Allen uh, became metabolically efficient. It's called metabolic efficiency when you're getting faster at the same heart rate. Um, and uh, those guys in the first time that Mark Allen won were stride for stride, uh, stroke for stroke in the water. On the bike, they were right next to each other the whole race, and they were next to each other the, the, the first 25 miles of the marathon, and they ran they ran a 238 marathon. Okay, so and that was with bad equipment back then in the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you know those guys would be unbelievably gifted today, but those guys had it tuned in with their nutrition and their stress and their sleep, and it was just a way of life for them. So Iron Iron War is a great book. The other way that it's great to uh, actually become uh, more efficient as uh, a runner or uh, a walker or on the elliptical is I listen to a lot of podcasts and books. So, uh, and I try, I do try and listen to the uh, motivational ones. And so I find that to slow me down. If I turn the music on, music is a stimulator and the music will make you run faster. Particularly if you have the pump up music that I like to listen to. <clears throat> so um, any, any uh, questions on the heart rate stuff? 
Uh, yeah, Jim, do you want to talk at all about, because um, you're talking from an exercise standpoint, um, which, as you, you know, everything you said, I really subscribe to and have, have used over the years to, you know, and I think it really helps. But there is a, there's a nutritional component too and an eating component. Do you just want to go into that a little bit? Because, you know, again, there's the exercise and what you do about keeping your heart rate low, but certainly you want to eat a certain way while you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the, the experts for metabolic efficiency of training will tell you to try and keep your carbs lower and to try and eat healthy, unprocessed foods as much as you can. There are a couple podcasts out there that spend a lot of time on this where people have really, really reduced the amount of carbs they put in their bodies. I, um, in some ways, agree with that and in some ways don't. I think that the unprocessed carbs, the uh, the fruits and vegetables and things like that are fine, but the, certainly the processed stuff people want to keep lower. Emilio, you have anything else on your mind there you want to talk about? Um, you know, that, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I certainly, every time I did it, ate fruit and vegetables and without any kind of problem, but did avoid, I mean, I went, you know, completely off breads and pastas and the rest of it. A lot of the stuff I really like to eat. Uh, but it, it it really works. It's I think it's a lot of hard work. It's extremely frustrating to, if you're used to running, um, you know, not even fast. You're used to just running normally. Um, it's very, very frustrating, especially in heat, uh, to go as slow as you need to go for months. It's not just, you know, you don't just do it for a week and it kicks in. But when it kicks in, it really kicks in. And it's actually kind of, it's a very strange uh, phenomenon <laughs> because all of a sudden you can start learning, losing fat very, very quickly. Um, I, one question I had for you, because I don't know the answer to this, but do you know um, if uh, anyone successfully uh, worked either intermittent fasting or any kind of fasting in with that, with, with aerobic? Do, do you know anything about that? I, I, I don't, so I'm just curious. Yeah, so there's different schools of thought on, uh, and by the way, the breads, rice, and the pastas, I do cut those out, particularly when I'm really trying to become metabolically efficient and get my heart rate down. Uh, that was some of the process stuff that I mentioned. Uh, you know, there's this, there's these different, different schools of thought on whether or not people should run fasted or not. I run fasted. Um, some people believe, and I think the evidence is mixed on this, but some people believe that when you exercise, and have to be running, could be getting on the elliptical machine, it could be doing an erg, it could be anything, right? Uh, Peloton, but some people believe that when we do something in a fasted state, exercise-wise, that that might accelerate the development of the aerobic metabolic training. Um, I, I think that I found that for some people it does work and some people it doesn't work. The intermittent fasting is an interesting one. Um, I think that uh, there's a big trend for intermittent fasting right now, but I know many people that do it and they swear by it and it works. So I would say if it works, great. I would say that it's not just about the way we look and it's certainly not just about uh, losing weight. It's also about our blood work and what we look like under the hood. And if we are doing intermittent fasting, that we're trying to make sure that we are eating healthy things and we are getting enough food into our body so that if we start to eat more later, that we don't start to gain a lot of weight when people start going back into it. Does anybody on this phone do the intermittent fasting? I do not. No, I just overeat, Tim. I overeat. <laughs> Pierre, overeat. Tim, I've That's done it for problem. a couple of years, but not in a, not in a heavy training, not a company with heavy training, maybe a CrossFit training, but more for mental than, than physical I've been doing it. Yeah, and a lot of people – no interruptions. Right, you get some mental clarity from that when you do it? 100%, yeah, like – like 
little to no coffee I need. I mean, it's yeah, it was a big game changer mentally. That's great. Uh, I'm glad that's working. Yeah, for actually, you. I Jim, I Tanisha, I also do intermittent fasting. I'm on the eight sixteen, uh-huh. and I find my energy levels have definitely improved. Yeah, um, I'm aligned with that too. It helps a lot. I've I've found it, and now I'm just like so used to it. I I don't get hungry till later in the day. That is amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. And those are instances where if it works, you should do it. And and and, and so you're doing the you're not eating. You're eating for eight hours, and you're not eating for sixteen, or vice versa. Correct. I'm eating for eight. What time of the days are you eating versus not eating? My hours are twelve to eight. Twelve to eight. Okay. And so, what type of can you give us an example of the type of things you're eating at twelve? I have um, I have a green smoothie and some fruit, and then like an hour later, I'll have uh, two avocado toasts with tomatoes and a salad, and then I'll have a snack probably a few hours later with probably vegetables with hummus or something, and then I'll have a dinner with it, which is usually like a stir fry or a lentil pasta or something along those lines. Awesome. And that's at seven. And how are you finding, is is it changing your body composure at all or your waist size or your leanness? How is it it impacting you? Um, I would say I'm pretty, I'm more lean, but I'm, I was, it's not a dramatic difference in that respect, but I just feel better. My body feels better. And are you exercising? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I exercise in the morning. And what are, you, what are you typically doing and what's the intensity? Oh, it's not super high intensity. It's mainly just yoga, Pilates, and, um, you know, some like total body like squats and lunges and things. But it's not, it's not very high intensity. Gotcha. And mostly stre- it sounds like mostly strength. Are you doing any cardio work on top of it? I do a little cardio on the Peloton and – some running, but not, I don't want to say running compared with this group because I'm not, not at your levels, but probably like a couple miles, Okay, two to three that's, times a week. That's great. The reason I was asking is because I have seen some people, I've tried the keto diet also, and I've tried, you know, sort of uh, some of the intermittent fasting. And the problem that sometimes I have is when I'm doing a lot of training, particularly a lot of aerobic training, I find myself needing to eat more. Um, and so then it's hard for me. That's why I was asking if you find when you're exercising that maybe it, uh, eating less is inhibiting you in terms of being able to exercise more or are you getting tired from it? Yeah, I'm not doing heavy training because my, my, my normal workouts are kind of more, um, yoga Pilates using my own body strength and more like mat work. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, yeah, Jim, it's interesting because I've never, and one of the reasons I was asking, um, I've done some different, you know, Elizabeth and I for a while, every Sunday, we do a 24-hour fast from like Sunday night to Monday night. Um, And you'd exercise normally, but I've never tried that during heavy training. And Um, you're doing doing that every week? And we were were not doing it now, but um, yeah, we did that for, for maybe like six months where we do it, we're doing it every week. And it was great, and it felt great, and we just exercised normally, uh, medium, you know, do do whatever run I'd be normally doing, um, and it didn't have any 
you know, affect one way or the other. Um, and that was even true. We did a three day fast once and I still, I exercise regularly, but never while I was doing, you know, obviously training for a race or doing something serious, which I'm a little more nervous about. What were you eating uh, or drinking? I know you say it's a fast, but sometimes the definition of fast is different between yeah, different well, people. Good, right. Between, yeah, were you yeah, doing zero, electrolytes or what were you yeah, doing? Right. Zero calories. So for those 24 hours, um, water's allowed, coffee's allowed, and green tea's allowed. Those are the three things. Coffee black, but no, no calories. No calories. Those are the three things I would drink during during that 24 hours. Yeah, I've read some books on the, the intermittent fasting and on uh, the overall fasting for multiple days. And I've uh, many people swear by the intermittent fasting than what Anisha's doing. And many people swear by the one or three day fast. And look, fasting has been something that has been part of cultures for thousands of years. Right. And many, many people have thought that it has really benefited them. So there must be something to it. Anybody else have anything else on that? So yeah, Jim, it was so hard when when I was doing sorry when I was doing heavy weightlifting training, it was nearly impossible to do intermittent fasting and retain a vegan diet. It was very right. difficult, and and like a low carb and with low carb in there too, it was. I don't think that's it wasn't at least for me it was not feasible or possible. <laughs> Yeah, I know that when I've tried the keto diet and also been plant-based at the same time, Vince, like you've done, um, I would get to like mile three on a normal run, not a hot day, and my heart rate would be 25 beats higher than normal, and I would be two or three minutes per mile slower. So I had the exact issue when I was trying to uh, do more of a keto diet, which really uh, didn't have a lot of carbs in it, and so... Uh, for me, based on the way I live, that wasn't for me, but for some people, they will swear by it, you know? So again, it's, it's really finding what works for you and following it. What are you doing now, Vince? I actually stopped and did some weight training. I had to have a kettlebell in my house, thank God. So I decided to throw around a kettlebell, loosen up, and then I'm going to try and go for a 30-minute slow run. A slow run that's not going to be too hard, as I just heard someone say. <laughs> Slow aerobic run is a beautiful thing. Anybody else have anything else on that? So, so um, anybody have any topics they want to talk about? I had a few notes of things I could talk about, but I'm happy to open up the floor first. Hearing crickets? <laughs> I will. Um, so somebody asked about um, indoor exercise. Well, we talked about the heat last week and people talked about what can I do indoors um, to get my heart rate up and to get exercise in. How many people here are doing indoor exercise right now? Anybody? Everyone's getting outside right now. Yeah, I mean. Yes, outside. It's a great thing to get outside. But, you know, um, what I have seen a huge trend towards um, right now obviously is buying equipment in a house so I've had a lot of people that um, like if we're getting outside and we're getting our heart rate up I don't care if we walk I don't care if we run I, like there's some stairs by where I live I'll just go walk up and down the stairs or you could walk up and down a hill anything to get your heart rate up is great but like what happens is sometimes there's bad weather or we get injured or we can't go outside and run. 
And so I have always used in, in my building in New York, I have a gym downstairs. It's great. It's got an erg, which is a rowing machine. It's got a treadmill. It's got an elliptical. It's got a stationary bike. It's got a Peloton like bike. You know, obviously we don't have that anymore. I don't, is anybody on this call going to the gym right now? Everyone's not, not open. Jersey. Nothing's open. No. Right? Sarah, I'm swimming. Yeah. Swimming. I'm going. Yeah. In a pool with chlorine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything I've read about the virus gets killed in chlorine right away. So I think it's great. I know lots of people that are swimming right now, which is spectacular indoor or outdoor. Indoor LA indoor. fitness. Yeah. Okay. Are you working on any of the machines there or are you just running into the pool and then getting out? Oh, no, no. I touch nothing. I go directly <laughs> into the pool and swim and get the F out. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah. So what I have been seeing a lot from people is people buying ellipticals and Pelotons. Those are the top things. <clears throat> I know that if I had a house like you, Greg, yes. I, would, I, would be, uh, I would be buying those things. Well, let, Jim, Jim, let me tell you why I can't. My wife is a fitness instructor for Lifetime Fitness. So if I ever brought a Peloton into the house, she would kill me. <laughs> so what we did was uh, right before Lifetime closed in March, we took one of their uh, spin bikes home. So Great. she rides that again. I've been I've been riding outside, but uh, we do have a spin bike in the house. That's great. Um, and a lot of triathletes will take their bike and get one of those bike trainers, and they'll put their back wheel on uh, their bike. A roller, and a, yeah. a, a roller or, 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 a or a trainer. The the Wahoo Kicker is the most popular of those right now. I have a Cyclops Fluid trainer, but uh, now the now a lot of these trainers have motors in them. And you can hook up to various programs like Trainer Road or Zwift. Uh, you can actually, we could ride against each other if you did Zwift and we could see each other's power and we could compete. I've actually competed against people on that. It's almost like a video game. It's very, very cool. But I mean, I think the indoor workouts are, you know, uh, some people can't afford to buy an elliptical or get any of this gear. And so I'm like, do you have stairs in your house? Why don't you walk up and down the stairs? You know, like, I, and it's, to me, it's not just about exercise. It's also about movement, right? So what, what I want to do is I want to get my heart rate up every day and do a little strength a couple times a week. And I want to move, right? And I want to, so I, when I'm on my calls during the day, I have a walking path either on the patio I have at the house I'm staying at right now, or I had a walking path in the last house I was in where I just walk around the house and I was moving and I felt a lot better. Are people doing calls and moving or are people, what are people doing on their calls these days? I'm a dog walker, so I just walk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. You're getting a lot of moving in that way. Are other people trying to move when they're not exercising these days? I mean, all of you have heard me say this before. How are we doing against that? Jeff's out there walking right now. Uh, yeah, but during the day, it's horrible. Like, I go, I'm up early, I get it on the desk, you know, then I go to breakfast, I'm back at the desk, and there's a little voice in my head called Jim saying, get up, get some steps every hour, get a drink of water. But it's hard. Um, I wish I could do it more. The other day, for the first time on my birthday, I stood for a meeting for an hour, which I thought was, was great. Um, but otherwise, I'm not doing what you... I'm not practicing what you've preached. Sorry. It's hard. And look, standing is better than um, sitting. I, I do coach some people. One guy I'm thinking of in particular, he stands all day long. 
He doesn't move. He's literally, I, when I look at his movement charts every hour, red, 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 zero steps, zero steps, five steps, zero steps, zero steps, every hour, all day long. And while standing is better than sitting, um, you still do have to move. And um, uh, Jeff, are you on video chats or are you uh, just on calls? Uh, a lot of Zooms, um, mostly Zooms now. Everybody wants to do a Zoom. What used to be a simple phone call, conference call is Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Do you have to, do you have to be visible? <coughs> yeah, like, that's a problem, not to jump in, but Jeff, I mean, it's like, that's been a big issue is I keep trying to get on calls just calling so I can walk around. And I try to do that once, you know, at least once a day, usually around in the afternoon. I try to run all my calls as I walk around. But yeah, there's a real pressure to get on the video chat with a group and they go on for, it seems like they go on longer than the in-person meetings used to in the office. So you sit there for an, like today, 90 minutes and you're not, you know, and I, I couldn't just get up and leave and it's rough. So I, I sympathize with what, you know, Jeff, what you're saying. Well, the other thing is I'll turn off, I want to turn off the video. Right, so then yeah. I can go do stuff, and then somebody calls you out, like, "Where'd you right. go? I want to see right. your face." You're like, "Come on, I just want yeah. to walk." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It's interesting because certainly I'm hearing this a lot right now, and it is absolutely health related. Okay, like if I'm in my office and I'm on calls, nobody wants to see me, right? And I can walk around my office. I got my headset. I can walk around. I have a path even in my office when I'm in the office. This is when we're at work. And it's okay. I, I can confirm that statement. Vince can confirm that statement. Thank you. Confirmed. Um, <laughs> the truth. But um, but now um, many calls they they will call you out like that. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't I don't know why it makes a difference. Um, there are times when we should be on a call, like I you know. But there are times where what I'm seeing and I'm on calls all day long. Okay, and what I'm seeing is that. People turn off their, their, their video all the time on these calls and nobody says anything. And it's a beautiful thing. Somebody goes and does their laundry while they're on the call, whatever. I don't care, right? Like as long as they're getting their work done, I don't care. But there are those that want you on no matter what. And if they call you out, that's tough. I mean, I wonder if there's a way to silently have a conversation with that person on the side. But, you know, it's like FaceTime. It's like investment banking FaceTime. Anybody else dealing with it or have a comment about it? Justin, is that you that joined? Hey, Jim. Hey, are you doing a lot of video chats or are you just doing calls? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a mix. And uh, I find it annoying that I, it's hard for me to, uh, I always have to have a document in front of me. Seems like it's hard for right. me to figure out a call where I don't have to look at anything. And that's hard. I try to do it if I can. Right. That's I'm tough, though. I'm walking around right now. Good work. I'm trying to. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. I got Sophia. Sophia wants to do the um, the heart rate training. I told her she's in cross country right now, so I told her wait till after the season's over, and that'd be a perfect time. Well. Um... Now might be a good time too. Actually, she might get some benefit. When did, has, has the season started yet for cross country? Yeah, they're they're training already. 
Well, what she what she could do is she could start wearing a device, and at least we can gather some data on her so that when she is in the off season, we will know what her numbers look like, and we can see whether or not she had progress or not during the season. So you know me, I'm a data person. I'd love to get a watch on her and get her going. Does she have one? She does. What is she using? Your Garmin, or what is she using? She's got her own Garmin. I can't Great. remember which one, but all right. I know you were going to ask me which one, but I don't know. Let's figure uh, out how we get her linked up. Link, let's get her linked up to my app at least, and at least she can get everything feeding in, and we can look at it or not. But at least we can gather it and save it. I think she'd like that. I'll get her. I'll I'll try to get it out. Great. You can email me, or she can email me. Okay, we'll do. Okay. Any other topics people want to talk about, or I can go into a few things. Hey, Trey, how you doing? Hey, buddy. Good to hear you. Good to hear you. You want to talk about anything? Well, I was going to add that, that the movement thing is my biggest frustration working from home, because I'm not walking to the office anymore. I literally walk 20 feet, and I'm just glued to my desk. It's not a stand-up desk. I always have to be in front of the computer. I've just had to carve out like 15 minute blocks on my, on my calendar and go walk around the block just to get out. And are my, you doing this? You're doing that? Yeah. Every now and then when I can, but my movement has been so bad during this whole disaster. And what about when you're in the office? Uh, how are you dealing with the movement? I just get up and go, you know, it's big floor plans. So I get up and go walk the long way to the kitchen and stop by and talk to someone else and walk around a little bit. Uh, I go and get a coffee every day at some point, you know, a few blocks away. So it's it's just easier to do it naturally. I get three good walks in. Is the issue that you're busier now, so you just can't do that, or is it a time management thing? What's the difference? I'm gonna I'll talk about what I'm doing because I'm very very focused on this. I think it's a combination of being busier, but also just just not having those built in, um, you know, the built in walks per day. I mean, I I miss two mile and a half long walks to work every day. I mean, that's, that's a lot of movement. Yeah. That's what about 8,000 steps, 7,500, 8,000 steps right yeah, there. You close. Maybe a mile and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Mile and a quarter, 7,500 steps maybe, or maybe a little less actually. But um, yeah, what, what I've been doing um, is, you know, I'm still trying to keep my movement up which means I had to completely change the way that my day goes, right? And I'm out on the West Coast right now. Um, and so my day often starts at 6 a.m., which means that if I want to, if I need to be on a call at 6 a.m., I'm lucky that a lot of my calls I can just dial in, and those are great because I can just walk during those calls. Like I had a 6 a.m. call this morning. It's kind of a group call, and so I can just – I can just walk while I'm on those calls. It's not a video chat, so that's, so that's great. But then if I have to get in front of a computer, then I absolutely have to figure out not to, I try not to schedule my meetings for full hours. It's interesting. I was talking to KPMG for a while, or, or PwC, I think it was, and they actually set up a, a calendar where they want you to schedule meetings for 25 minutes and take five minutes off. Then another 25 minutes and take five minutes off which I think can be hugely valuable in terms of moving, right? I think it's all about time management and I really just try and manage my calendar. I find it very hard when people go look at my calendar and just put things on my calendar. Oh, I just checked your calendar here. I'm going to force you to do a call at this time because I'm not the best at keeping my calendar up. And so uh, somebody goes and put something on my calendar at noon, but I had some plans for that. 
other people have that, right? I find that to be annoying. Jim, you gotta put fake meetings uh, block blocks or no, because if not, that'll happen. It happens yep. to me all the time. I have probably eight hours worth of fake meetings a week just blocking off my calendar because I know if not, my entire calendar will fill up. Yeah, and I know that there are some um, that will do that for sure, and I will do that sometimes. Um, I, I also have to be very good at saying to people when they ask for a call time, hey, this works for everybody else. Does this work for you? And I will put my hand up and say, no, it doesn't work. Can we do this time? Or I'll say I have a conflict at this time, and I usually will have a conflict, but you know, taking care of yourself is not a conflict also, right? And there's always going to be this battle between taking care of yourself and then somebody else not taking care of yourself and them judging you because you are taking care of yourself. So I never talk about what my meetings are and whether or not it's a real meeting or whether or not I'm going to spend that half hour to an hour a day. It's a half hour to an hour of day that's going to make me more mentally acute and keep me healthy. You know, so I just I am unwavering and I treat the movement the same way, you know, like some days I just can't do it, but most days I can do it. So, Trey, I think that's a tough one. I think you got to try and come up with the mindset of I'm going to try and pretend like I am in New York and I'm going to try and do what I have to do so that I can get my non-exercise steps up. I haven't looked at your charts. What are the numbers? How many red hours are there? A lot. I haven't looked at it either. It's, it's, it's high. Um, but when I'm good about putting the 15-minute block on my calendar, which is the best way to do it, then it's, then it's better. Great. Great. Anybody else have anything on that? Hey, Jim, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I have to jump, but thank you again. This is great. Um, I do, too. <laughs> yeah. I will uh, I'll, uh, see you next week if you do this again. You can do great. this as a regular thing? Yeah. I think we're going to do it weekly. Um, Good. Good great. to see you, Jim. Same yeah. here, man. How, how's the leg? What's going so on I with the leg? To, I went to the podiatrist today. Uh, he wanted to give me two more weeks. It would be totally eight weeks from the onset of the uh, stress fracture. So let's talk about that. Can we talk about it? I was thinking it'd be a good thing to talk through. Sure, sure, so, sure. so uh, Greg was a person we talked about before as a marathoner and you entered into some ultra marathons. Tell, tell yeah, us. You know what, with, with nothing, you know, on the calendar anymore, I went to a virtual race and they had uh, here in Jersey, you could run the length of the Garden State Parkway, which was 172.4 miles. And they gave you 60 days to do it and you log your miles in every day and, Jim, you know me, I'm very ultra competitive. So every day I checked online and I did it in 18 days. So, uh, which was an average of it's about 10 miles a day, ten, nine ten point a, 10 a day. Okay. Yeah. But you were doing more some days and less others. Correct. What, was the, what was the highest and lowest? I think the lowest could have been six or seven and the, the, sorry, highest. I could, the highest was uh, about 13, 13. And, um, I suspect, uh, so you end up getting a stress fracture, correct? Yes. And what happened exactly? Like how far into the running? It's, how many days it, you, you no, did it? No, no, I did it in 18 days. 18. But it's funny, it was literally the last quarter mile of my run. I felt the pain. And you didn't have any twinges coming along usually I, when no, I get no, a stress I, fracture. No, no, I did. I did. I ran through them, but it was nothing. You know, it kind of went away like in a, like a stitch in your side. You run through it. Um, but this, at the very end, I felt it in the bottom of my foot, the ball of my foot. And by the time I got home and took my sock off, it was already turning black and blue. Was it a Jones fracture? I, I don't know. All I know is a third or fourth metatarsals. 
factors from what are Jones factors. Okay, okay, no, that's Jones factors is one I had a couple of years ago. It's a bad one. Um, it's actually no, not. It's, it's a real fracture, not a stress fracture. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, this didn't show much on the X-ray, and on the second X-ray, again, it hurt a little bit, but uh, um, you know, no, you know, I've been biking a lot. So, how many weeks ago was that? It was six weeks ago to the day. And did the doctor say that you could bike? Uh, I went back uh, three weeks ago. So week three, he said I could start to bike gradually, slowly, easy. Um, I've biked a lot in the last three weeks. You know, indoor or outdoor? Good. Oh, outdoor. I'm averaging over 100 miles a week outdoor. So you're doing every day or? Well, I was doing it probably six days a week. You riding 9W or what are you riding? Uh, 9W. And the nice thing now is you can bike over the Mario Cuomo Bridge. Hmm. Okay. And so any pain or twinges when you've been riding? No, it's been great. Right. So now you want to start to run again. I would. He would like me to wait two more weeks just to give it a, a, a good shot at uh, not coming back. Take an x-ray today? They see anything? No, I didn't do an x-ray, but I got a cortisone shot in my other foot because I think I have a Morton's neuroma in the other foot. So, uh, mm. yeah. I just turned 54 and anybody else on this call, don't get old. It sucks. 54. Um, I was going to say I'm 26 and my feet hurt from standing up all day working. <laughs> my next question was going to be, how do you balance running and standing up at work because my feet hurt, but I don't think I can complain anymore. <laughs> yeah. When you hit 54, you don't even have a reason to live. You're so miserable. That's right. You know? uh, hey, David. So, how are you, you doing? You, Jim, Jim. I'm, I'm well. How are you? Good. Good. We kind of... Ended the first portion of this call, and now we're on the second portion. We're talking about Greg up there in the upper left, at least on my screen, who has a stress fracture in his foot. And go ahead, Greg. No, Jim, my question was, you agree with that, to give it two more weeks? So I have some rules when it comes back from injuries, whether it's a stress fracture or a stress reaction before a stress fracture or just twinges. And my rule is that uh, if I have any pain walking, I don't run. Okay. And if I have an injury, I need to be able to walk for at least three days, preferably a week with no pain before running. If you are having any pain and you're being really honest with yourself, and it really is about being honest with yourself, right? Uh, then I do agree that two more weeks, eight weeks would be better than six weeks. Did, did, did you, do you have any twinges or pain when you walk no, at all? I don't, I don't now, but the nice thing is that there's nothing to train for right now. So I'm like, why, why push it? There's, I was going to run Berlin. That's canceled. I got nothing on the calendar. Yeah. So I'm to heal. Yeah. And look, my, my mentality at this point is not about races. It is about trying to stay healthy in this environment where I'm getting my heart rate up and I'm just getting something aerobic in and I'm sleeping and I'm eating well and I'm doing the things necessary to be healthy. I could care less how I get my heart rate up at this point. Uh, when I, if I had your situation or when I had my fractured foot, I was doing that bike, uh, the knee scooter around everywhere to get my heart rate up, yeah. you know, and, uh, and then I was doing the elliptical and I might not run for months and that's okay. And right now I'm on a streak of running a lot because I'm out here in California and I'm healthy, but every, like I have done no long runs right, right. You know, you know me, I do 10 miles a day for months at a time. I haven't run, I haven't run 10 miles in months. Well, I, I got to tell I, you, going, going out on the bike ride right now without any pressure, I'm actually enjoying it. I'm noticing things I've never seen before. My head is up, not down in a tuck position. Uh, you know, it's actually been a nice thing to not have that pressure. Great. And so what I would recommend is that two more weeks, you're going to see the doctor again one more time? Uh, middle of August. But he said in two more weeks, I'd like to start uh, running again. He'd give me the green light. 
Okay. I would love to have seen an x-ray to make sure that it is healed. But if you could barely see it on the first one, it probably yeah, you, is you couldn't. And on the second one, you, you, you just you couldn't make out much. Okay. And then uh, I, I, I would do eight to ten minutes first run. I would w make, always walk, walk for ten run, minutes. Right? Yeah. Always no for always walk for ten As minutes always, before right. you run. For, no matter what, every single person on this call should walk for ten minutes before they run. It warms the body up much more than stretching. Most of the elites don't stretch anymore. They stretch after, but they will not stretch before, particularly if you're a morning runner. So you walk for ten minutes, and then you jog. I mean, you are going to probably if you can. The, your goal for that first run is finish ten minutes, ten minute, eleven minute, twelve minute mile doesn't matter, but so that you finish not injured, right? And if I you have a, if, I didn't, if I didn't vomit, it'd be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But your goal should be to finish that and not be hurt. Right. And then take a day off, and then you could run every other day. There's no need to run consecutive days. That was the days. plan, right? That was the plan, and I'm going to mix in the biking as well. Yep. Are you doing strength these days or no strength? I've been doing strength as well, yeah, doing, uh, doing strength in the backyard. Great. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim, Good. whatever well, you call me, it's all still here. It's all still here. It's all Oatmeal in the head. every day. Oatmeal every morning. You, you are doing the oatmeal? Absolutely. With the, I just bought flaxseed today at Trader Joe's. Great. Ground flaxseed? Yep, ground flaxseed. Great, great. And flaxseed. you're having the five fruits with it too? The five fruits. You're still doing that every day? It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. a bagel on Sunday, but that's it. It's interesting because, you know, my whole thing about food, I'm going to put something up on the screen here for a second. Let me share it. Uh, can you see my screen? So I put this little thing together of, of principles that I follow. Can you see that? Yeah. It looks like a lot. It's 24. It's not that, it's not that much. When I was like writing down some things that principles that I follow for food, you know, if I had to boil it down to a few things, eat as much unprocessed food as possible, eat lots of different types of food and eat lots of fiber and don't undereat. Those would be the four things I'd say. So eat as much unprocessed food as possible. And unprocessed means it doesn't have refined sugars in it. It doesn't have heated up oils in it with tons of salt added to it. You know, it, it, it's, it's in its raw form, essentially, right? And it doesn't mean 100%. It's just eat, eat as much as you can, right? And food diversity, I call it food diversity when you're getting up to 30 different plants a week. There's all this evidence that we're depressed less and, you know, we... Um, have healthier gut bacteria and get sick less if we eat a, a huge diversity of foods. And like sometimes when people look through this list and they oh, eat, eat a lot of unprocessed food and eat a lot of different foods and don't have too much refined sugar and have oatmeal and eat an avocado a day, et cetera. People, I will hear some people say to me, well, that's an extreme diet. I'm not telling you to be any type of label. I don't believe in labels. And I'm telling you that you should do what works for you. But certainly, um, I wouldn't call trying to eat as much healthy, uh, healthy, unprocessed food as you can extreme. I would say the way that I used to eat. And you know, you all don't know me when I was in the hospital 10 or 15 times with 105 fever for weeks on end and with Crohn's flare-ups and very sick, where I didn't follow most of these pillars. And I thought exercise alone was enough. I thought, I exercise. I don't need to do anything else. I'm good. That's why I can eat whatever I want. Sleep, I don't need to sleep. You know, I can sleep five hours a night, four nights. I'm one of those people that doesn't, quote, need a lot of sleep. Now I have to get my seven or eight hours, but I had to get over the hump, right? And so I wouldn't view any of this stuff as extreme, but um, if you think it's extreme, you shouldn't do it, right? But 
these are the type of principles that I follow. Just a few notes. Um, frozen fruits and vegetables. I talked about frozen fruits last week, but I didn't talk about frozen vegetables. I buy tons of frozen stuff because then I don't waste it. I have in my freezer, I have my own fridge freezer here right now at this house we're in, which is really good. Nobody can mess with my stuff. But um, I take, I buy like the power greens from Trader Jones and I instantly put it in the freezer. Because if I keep it in the fridge, there's a good chance I'm not gonna get to it, right? But if I keep it in the freezer, I can then drop it in a Vitamix. Anybody have a Vitamix? Vitamix is an essential piece of equipment. It's a blender, if you don't know what it is. And I can drop in some quick mixed bags of fruits. I can drop in some greens. I can drop in some frozen broccoli. I can drop in some frozen carrots or a few other things. All of a sudden, I got a great smoothie that I love, right? So I'm a big fan of the frozen fruits. The only other thing I want to talk about is natural flavors. Like um, natural flavors are where the chemists hide the bad stuff. And when I was kind of just going through the podcast from last week, I don't know if you guys listened to it. One of the things I added to it was I noticed that there was this tea I was drinking. I'm trying to drink green tea or black tea or just any type of tea every day. I noticed that in the tea I was drinking, it tasted really good. And so I took a look at the ingredients and sure enough, natural flavors were in the tea. Natural flavors are where they hide the bad stuff to make it taste good, and so I try and avoid those. Um, an avocado a day, great rule. I'll stop there, see if anybody has any comments, but I just want to make a few comments about the food. How do you monitor your food intake, Jim? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't count calories. I just eat until I'm full. And I, um, I am a creature of habit where I will, I have, I think most of us have five to 10 different meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner that we eat. I love my oatmeal plus five plus four in the morning. So that's just what I eat. Um, I love it. Uh, I may make two or three days at a time and, and then I'll just have some sort of combination of different food, but I don't track, I don't track it anymore. I've tracked it for years and years and years, but now I just know kind of the stuff I get is healthy. And I know that as long as I'm eating mostly unprocessed food, I can, I can, stuff myself and I'm still not going to gain weight or get sick. You know what I mean? From it. Whereas I know if I go and have some uh, highly processed stuff that I'm going to love it while I do it. And like my daughter's cookies, she's baking these days, uh, but I'm going to feel like crap afterwards. So I don't track it though, Vince. Do, are you counting your calories or doing any of that? I'm a huge eater of fruit and coming from like a plant-based family, there's so much fruit. And then you hear the schools of thought that, you're like on a low a low carb diet to stick away from fruit. So I'm always conflicted with that. I know you're you're a huge proponent of fruit, so I was wondering what your thoughts were. I'm a huge proponent of diversity. So um, you know, I'd much rather have you have two cherries, two blueberries, two blackberries, two raspberries. Don't be the Obama seven almonds or whatever, which I think he said is a joke. But um, I'd much rather have you a lot, have a lot of different things. I haven't found any issues with eating fruit that is just completely unprocessed. Uh, I know my performance works. I know I haven't been in the hospital for 10 years. I know that it works on my body and it's not just about my weight. It's also about my blood work, which is spectacular, particularly when I'm eating really healthy. And so um, I've gotten into a groove of what works for me. Each person should do what works for them. But I, I read everything out there. And like when somebody says you shouldn't have any fruit, it's bad for you. And then I try and think about, is that true for me or not? And how does it impact my athletic performance? And how does it impact my blood work? And I've been doing this long enough to know that I don't agree with that statement. But for some people, they have different genetics. And maybe that is true for them. 
but it's certainly not true for me. I have people that will eat the oatmeal plus five plus four in the morning and will pig out on various things throughout the day and they still lose weight. And particularly those that do this training that we talked about earlier, the aerobic training. If people want to lose weight, if they are following the aerobic training and they're following the nutrition program we just talked about and they're sleeping and they're keeping their stress down and they're moving, it's a good way to, it's a good way to become leaner. Would you like to add anything? I, I, it, when I was reviewing your 24, I wasn't sure what the rainbow was. So I, I didn't follow that one. So eat the rainbow of colors. Um, so um, it means trying to eat a lot of different uh, colors because each of the different okay. pig pigments of colors have different phytonutrients in them. And so um, the experts will tell you, the nutritionists will tell you, like, I say eat a lot of fiber, I say, I say eat a lot of plants, all the same thing. You just want to get a wide range of colors. So when I look at my bowl, like I try and say, do I have a wide range of colors in my bowl? Maybe I'll have three different peppers, right? Trader Joe's has a great frozen bag of peppers that has green, red, orange, maybe yellow. And so you could literally, I throw those in a bowl and I warm them up either on this, on a, in a pot or I just put them in the microwave for a couple minutes with peas and corn and a bunch of other stuff. And um, each one of those has different phytonutrients and provides us with different nutrients into our body, which is great. So that's what I mean. And I, and I don't see you mention, um, I realize it might fall under drugs and sleep aids, um, but I don't see you mention coffee or caffeine unless I missed it. Um, I, I certainly appreciate the comment around tea without milk and sugar and you know, I, I don't add those to, to iced coffee and I do make my own from grounds, but what's your view on, on caffeine, coffee? And I, I appreciate there's a practicality element to how you talk about it. So I'm, I'm probably not going to stop, but any perspectives there? Great question. Thanks for the question. I have done multiple studies and read multiple things. Uh, you know, I've been following these pillars for about 10 years now. And when I first started, I went caffeine free. I cut it all out. You know, I, I was drinking a lot of diet soda. It took them like I've heard eight or 10 times to get approved by the FDA for diet soda. Diet soda is horrible. Uh, one of the huge things of me cutting it out really changed my life. But um, I cut out all caffeine for a while and I felt spectacular. And, you know, Vince, you made a comment about uh, you don't need caffeine and everything. Um, so I've done it that way. And I've also and I'm intentionally silent to it in this document. I thought about putting it in there because. Um, some, some people thrive on caffeine and caffeine can be an anti-inflammatory and can do a lot of different things for us. Now, there are some people, I have some heart issues and I, I get these things called PVCs, which are extra beats. So most heart rate, most people's heart rate goes boom, 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 boom. Mine will go at times, boom, 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 boom. And I'll feel like my stomach drops to the ground. And when I was not following these pillars, I was getting studied wearing Holter monitors, like 500 of those an hour. And I was consuming tons of caffeine and everyone told me, oh, it's the caffeine. You know what I mean? But I realized that it wasn't just the caffeine. It was my um, lack of sleep. It was the way I was exercising. It was, I was eating like crap. You know, it was all the different, uh, you know, I might've had a lot of stress and anxiety in the job at various points in time. And so it was all of those different things. So my view on, to answer your question, my view on caffeine is it depends. 
I'm, I'm living in a house right now where there's a guy that, that lives next to me, 74 years old, and he's got some PVCs. And we talked to, I asked him, has anything changed? What are you doing more? And he changed his coffee and he started drinking coffee with heavy caffeine. And so we did an experiment for him to cut out not caffeine, but just reduce it a little bit. And they went away for him. And he started exercising a little more and he started sleeping a little more. Right. So, um, I've been studying caffeine to the point where coffee is a spectacularly good thing for us, decaffeinated or regular. Okay. Because it has so many different phytonutrients. You know, I didn't start drinking coffee until I was, um, 48. So two years ago, I drank no coffee basically my whole life. And lately I've been experimenting with coffee and I'm one of those people, I took one of those 23 meat tests or one of those tests and it said that I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine. And so I can drink coffee before I go to bed and I can fall asleep like that. Whereas some people I work with and some of my friends, some people I coach, they can't drink coffee after noon and they can't go to bed. Right. And so I think it's different for every single person. I've been studying when I drink caffeine, uh, a cup of coffee before I go to bed at night, it kind of relaxes me. And my heart rate is always lower at night when I drink caffeine before I go to bed. I've been studying this now for two years. Always lower. It's almost like that, that the phytonutrients and the caffeine relaxes my body. Maybe it's an anti-inflammatory little bit. So, um, But I have gone through periods where I've done no caffeine. So I think it depends. I think coffee's great. But I think that I do coach some people that they drink like 10 cups of coffee a day or whatever it is, and they're jittery and they're moving around, and it definitely impacts them. So you have to be careful to that, right? One other thing I should mention about coffee, and to a lesser degree tea, but definitely coffee, is in my experience in coaching hundreds of people over the years and talking to many other people that I don't coach about coffee, the hardest thing for people is to eliminate what they put in their coffee. So coffee is great. If you can drink it black, it's by far the best thing, caffeinated or decaffeinated. If the caffeine revs you up so much and, you know, get your heartbeat going too fast, then maybe you want to try decaf. But I don't have an issue as long as you don't have an issue with drinking caffeinated coffee. Having said this, it's the cream that people put in their coffee. That's the hardest thing for people to get rid of. So when we talk about unprocessed foods, you know, the dairies, um, you know, the cream and the milks are processed and pasteurized and if you got cream or milk directly out of a cow, I'd be fine with it. But if you're getting it in other ways, it is processed. And so we talk about trying to minimize our processed food. And the hardest thing for people to get rid of by far is the cream or the milk they put in their coffee. Now, the other thing I don't want people to put in their coffee is um, fake sugar. So there are a couple fake sugars that are healthier, sugar substitutes. But um, I'd rather have you drink it completely black and um, – not have some of the fake sugars that have been shown to later in the day spike our uh, sugar levels and our glucose levels. And so black is best. Now, I didn't start drinking coffee until I was around 48 years old. But when I would have it occasionally growing up um, as an adult, I would put sugar in because I thought that the black coffee just tasted too bitter. Uh, and it was unthinkable for me to drink black coffee, but all the research I did and all the phytonutrients in coffee made me say, look, I'm going to try it black. And once I started to love it, uh, having just black coffee, I can't imagine not throwing the sugar in there. How, what are you doing? Uh, in terms of coffee? Yeah, it's coffee and tea. Oh, um, right now I'm not drinking any teas, but I wouldn't have teas if we were in a kind of normal environment, just like a 
you know, after dinner thing or something, if it was uh, a work event. Um, and I do like green tea, but, but summer and, and hot teas and I just, it doesn't, doesn't fit me. Um, iced coffee. I'm having at least one a day. I have it in the morning. I don't have any trouble in the afternoon personally. Um, I'm not sure I would do one at eight o'clock at night. Um, unless I had some, unless I kind of thought it was going to be critical to get me over the hump of some work projects. Um, but yeah, but it's, um, it, I mean, it's been fine. I have no heart issues that I can observe from it. I'm, I, I was just curious what your view was on, on it because it, it stood out at me as not being on there. And it's the kind of thing it typically is. Uh, I'm not touching a soda other than maybe once a month or every three weeks, you know, as, as a very rare treat and never yeah. a diet soda. Yeah. Now I don't do coffee in the morning usually. So when I wake up, I'm, I'm working, I'm on calls, I'm walking around on calls and then I'll usually do, because I'm on the West coast, I'm doing, you know, two or three hours of calls and then I'll try and around lunchtime go out for some sort of run if I can fit it in quickly or I'll do it at the end of the day. But if I do it in the middle of the day, I, um, I am not having coffee for one of those runs because the coffee from the tea or the, the, the heart rate from the tea or the coffee usually spikes up a little bit. And so I try not to do it until after uh, I do yeah. my workouts. Cause I, I mean, this, this, spike. this morning I went on a long walk and I didn't have breakfast or coffee until after. So yeah, great. Yeah. It's great. not something I need right away. Yeah, and, the, and you saw the sleep aids on here. The sleep aids are a tough one. People that take a lot of sleep aids, they really have their heart rate spike up a lot of times. And it definitely, it's almost like when people take sleep aids, and I'm talking about the hard stuff, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they'll, be, they'll be hungover for two or three days often from taking, taking the hard sleep aids. So I really encourage people to try and get off the sleep aids if they can. What, what's your perspective on melatonin? And I, I don't say from my perspective because I, I don't use any of those, but uh, I've certainly um, used it on my children in appropriate dosage. Um, I think that uh, a small amount of melatonin is fine for people. I mean, I have an app and I don't ding people in the grades for melatonin. I think the experts will tell you that some people that take too much melatonin, maybe it's not going to be as effective over the long haul. Um, so, but some people when they're changing time zones or they're traveling can certainly benefit from some melatonin. So it's not something that I yeah. use, but I, I know that the research shows that it's natural and holistic. And as long as people aren't doing too much of it, great. But I think the people that do it consistently, I think it's a little harder. Yeah. Jim, what's the quantity? What's the five milligrams, 10 milligrams? How much? I have to, I have to look, uh, let me look and come back to you on that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think that the experts have said a little less than more is probably fine and enough, but I got to come back to you on the quantity. Well, does weight make a difference on the quantity? I'll look. Are, uh, are you taking, do you take melatonin to sleep? Yeah, I take it. Yes. Yeah. Let me, let's talk offline and that. I can look, I have a couple things I've okay. researched on it and I can look at it. Great. Thank you. My goal in life is to tire myself out. Right. So I sleep better. So the, the moving and the exercising and just keeping busy is certainly um, it contributes to me uh, being able to fall asleep. Usually by the end of the night, I am tired and I'm, I'm just down, you know. Shruti, uh, that, okay, that being said, I'm uh, heading out. for. I got to get to two more thousand steps and to get my 10,000 before it gets dark. 
You know, let me just say this. I have one comment about steps. I have evolved a little bit where I would much rather see you have more consistent movement throughout the day than just to have 10,000 non-exercise steps. You know what I mean? Um, so if you said to me, look, you're not running right now, but let's say you went out and ran five miles, you had 10,000 steps. Like, you know, I want you to have a certain number of non-exercise steps after that, right? And so, but I've evolved to be less focused on the 10,000 number. I think a, lot, I've, a couple of years ago, I evolved away from that, but you're starting to see that more and more. But what I have, I do think is important is to try and move consistently throughout the day. So like if you're going to go walk for an hour in the morning and then walk for an hour at the end of the day and sit the rest of the day where you've had six or eight hours in the middle of the day where you didn't move at all, that I would not like that relative to you having less than 10,000 non-exercise steps. Even if you had 7,000, but you were moving more consistently, I think that probably would be better for your health. Gotcha. And a lot of studies are coming out about that, that the, the consistency of movement is so critical to health. Mayo Clinic has even been coming out and saying they want you to get up and move every 15 minutes. Now, my app tracks hour by hour. I know um, some of you use my app, some of you don't use it, but like I just get up, try and get up every hour, send an alarm on my phone, and I just move, you know? Sounds good. It's hard to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you, Jim. This was great. All right. Thank you, sir. You got it. We'll be in touch. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. You David, it. anything else? No, sorry, I was late. We had a, a new hire Zoom, so Ooh. It, it ended at seven. It's all good. Welcome, um, to the virtual, welcome to the virtual world. Their summer is four or five weeks, and it's all, all Zoom. It's crazy. We talked about that before we joined, about uh, the frustration of not being able to turn your camera off and just walk around a little bit while you're on these calls. A lot of people feel like they're just, they have to be on these calls at all times. So um, for me, like I've been able to not, ha not always have my camera on and I work with a team of people that they turn their camera off and everyone's okay with that. And I, we hear these other stories where if you turn your camera off, where the F is David? Why is your camera off? No. What do you, what do you uh, hell? I hear some jokes that are bad jokes about it. No, Jim, I'm, uh, I, I'm too old and too senior to get that kind of grief from anybody. And my camera's usually on, but you're right. If it gets too long, you got to get up and move around. And I would say, be the, be the senior person that is not like that. Do not like, if somebody wants to turn their camera off and do oh, their no, laundry. I haven't taken, I, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't given anybody a hard time. Yeah. Good. Good. I'm. I. I. am going to be that type of. I am that type of senior person that I am not going to make people feel guilty if they want to turn their camera off and walk around on a call. I want them to do that. I also want them to take an hour out of every day and go take care of themselves because I know they'll be better and more mentally cute if they do it. Okay, we have a couple minutes left. Shruti, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Yeah, I. I've been listening to. Uh, the entire session and I uh, there were so many things that I agree with right from um, you know the zoom sessions to the cultural aspect of intermittent fasting to um, to the lack of movement uh, all through the day and unfortunately I belong to all all those buckets in the in the bad way right now so I need to get my act together and, and start moving a little bit at least so make a commitment Shruti and, and yep, report yep. and report it next week whenever you're ready look yep. I, in my profession I, I always tell the, my team solve problems let's be problem solver let's not go to somebody and say we got a problem uh, what do I do about it let's unless we really have to let's let's be the type of person that says 
I believe this is a problem. My lack of movement or the way I'm eating or the way I'm living is a problem. I feel not good because of it or it makes me feel sick or I have bad blood work or I have a weaker immune system. What am I going to do about it? And, and it, it, one thing is better than nothing, you know? And so solve problems. Think about how you can – it doesn't have to be solved in a week. It can be solved in years. But, like, if you could do a little better, that would make me happy. Did I just totally turn you off, Shruti? No, no, no. I uh, just muted myself. But, uh, no, I hear you, and I will certainly try. Okay. I'm always yeah. here if you need anything. Justin, any goals, anything you want to report? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm trying to get – I ran twice last week. Great. For the first time, so – um, I'm trying to catch up on work, and hopefully I'm going to get back into the swing. I got up really early today, but I had to get something done for work, but I'm going to try to do it again tomorrow. But those two days that I ran for – I ran 40 minutes, I felt really good. So awesome, dude. I'm going to try to do it again. Great. Very happy to hear that. Two is better than zero. One is better than zero. Mm -hmm. Three, three if you right. can manage it, is better than two. It's up to you. All right. Anybody else have anything else? Jeff, I sent you to, I sent you an invite. Accept it, and then I'll send you a link, and then we should get you going on the app, my my app with the Apple link now. Okay, I tried doing it before. I'll double check, and then I will definitely call you either, uh, tonight or tomorrow. Okay, and, and David, I, David, I finally have the Apple app linked to my app. So if you wanted to uh, be part of my beta, where you could just link your watch to my app, and every now and again go in there and check it, and if it helps to motivate you, you want to do it, or it's not something you'd want to do. You got it on the Apple Watch? I got my app linked to the Apple Watch now, yeah. Oh, you do? Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll send you something about it. Okay. By the way, you have to clean up. Jim, can you send uh, send that to me and Vishal as well? Yeah. I'd, I'd love for you guys both to be on the Apple Watch. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. And then what I, what I want for you, Shruti, is I want you to start checking the movement consistency board and use it as a tool to try and have more green hours than red hours. That's what I want for you. Will Justin, do. can you mute, please? Um, great. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. All right.